0: Right, hey, uh, Romans chapter 4 today, um, and then a little bit later we'll hear from uh, McPherson Housing Coalition. Uh, So I'll I'll preach about half of a sermon and hear the other half from them this morning. We heard uh, in Romans chapters 1 through 3 that uh, Paul the Apostle makes a case that we've all fallen short. Whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're religious or immoral, we've all fallen short. Of the glory of God, the Jews in Paul's day, though, would have objected because they felt that Abraham was their father, and Abraham certainly demonstrated a righteousness based on his great works. He was a stellar human being, and and uh, example. He obeyed God's law. He was circumcised, therefore, he earned a right standing before God. And that's what makes sense to the natural mind. We do good things, we get rewarded for it. Like when I was in fifth grade with Mrs. Reynolds, she would put our names on the chalkboard and a little star by our names if we did something that was, uh, that was, re- that was good, that was worthy. That's the word I'm looking for. But if we misbehaved, she would also write our name on the board and put a check by our name. If we misbehaved, we've got three checks and meant detention. And I remember one day at a fire drill, it was great. We got to go outside, and I was following in line next to two girls who I kind of liked. They were the popular girls. And so I I told them to impress them, Mrs. Reynolds was a pain in the fore eyes because she made us line up. And so they kind of laughed a little bit. And so we finally got back in the room, sat at our desks, and the two girls raised their hand. Miss Reynolds! Guess what they told? John Black said you were a pain in the fore eyes, didn't you, John, didn't you? And Mrs. Reynolds looked at me and said, John, did, did you say that? I remember that well, because I deserved it. That's how many perceive God, though. God gives us these check marks because we've been bad. You know, it's like God's scale of righteousness. If our righteousness, our, our goodness outweighs our badness, then we'll be righteous. If, if, if it's the other way, then we'll be unrighteous. Well, that's not how it works. It's not God's kind of righteousness. We learn in chapter 4 what it is. Try as we might, we fail to keep God's commandments and we fall short of his expectations in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in our motives. We're all up the creek without a paddle. We are all in the same boat, heading in the wrong direction. But Paul reminds us that God's kind of righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How could Paul say that God could possibly forgive Gentiles, worldly people? simply for believing in Jesus. When the most wonderful people in the world, like Jewish people like Abraham, would not be accepted by God based on their works. Can can you see how troubling that would have been to the Jewish mind? It was more that they could handle. It'd be like thinking today that a cold-blooded murderer who repents and accepts Jesus while sitting on death row just before they are executed and they will become righteous in God's sight while at the same time a decent, moral um, person who's not a believer will be found unrighteous in God's sight simply because they didn't believe in Jesus. It didn't make sense. It's hard to swallow. So... Then how do you propose, Paul, that our spiritual father Abraham was indeed found righteous in God's sight? Well, Paul, in essence, in chapter 4, calls Abraham to the witness stand. In Romans 4.1, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham believed God. Now this is not just a mental assent, you know this. It's not just a mental understanding of something you agree with, but it is an attitude, it's, it's a trust I place my faith or trust in something or someone completely, and Abraham placed his absolute trust in the Lord. That type of trust would be like someone getting on the airplane. You hop on this giant metal heavy tube with little wings, and you expect this ginormous thing to defy the law of gravity and stay up in the the sky. You have faith because you sit back and you relax and you put your headphones on, you read the magazine. And and furthermore, you have faith in the pilot and co-pilot because you're trusting, you're putting there. It's not just, I believe in airplanes. I've read every article on airplanes and yes, I believe in them, but I refuse to get on one. That's not biblical faith. Verse three, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith, credited to him as righteousness, NIV puts it. This word credit or count is a financial term. If someone informs me that they're transferring a large amount of money into my bank account, like an inheritance, then I could choose to believe in this or I could choose to reject this. I know you're not. I would believe. A guy named Wust, uh, he said, Abraham received a righteousness in the same manner as this. We too become righteous by someone else's righteousness placed into our account. Our account is empty of righteousness and is full of sin. But when Christ gives us his righteousness, we become filled with his righteousness. It's his righteousness, God's righteousness. In verse 4, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. When we receive our work paycheck, we don't fall on the floor in tears saying, thank you, thank you so much. Oh, oh thank you, you are so generous. You, I, no, you, you receive it and say, hey, thanks. And, and then you walk out of the office because you've earned it. You deserved it. You had it coming to you. But that's not God's kind of righteousness. Abraham never once thought, God, you owe me eternal life, and you owe me righteousness because I have done a lot of great things for you, God. You owe it to me. In verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, not as something we earned, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, whether we're Jews, or if we have faith like Abraham's. Whether we are Jews or Gentiles alike, if we have faith like Abraham did, then we'll be made righteous. Faith in who? Faith in God. Well, what specific promise did Abraham believe God for, and therefore he was credited God's righteousness? He believed the promise that he would be an heir, or he would have an inheritance. Genesis fifteen five. God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed in God's promise that you would have a people, that you'd have a nation, that you'd inherit a land. Well, this would mean that he and his wife Sarah would have a son. Well, this was a covenant promise that God made to Abraham. It was not a contract. A contract says if you hold up to your end of it, then and I hold up to my end, then the contract won't be broken. But if you break it by disobedience, then the contract is broken, null and void. No, it was a covenant promise. And so Abraham didn't have to earn it, it wasn't a contract. He had to simply believe in God's promise, covenant promise. And in believing, then he was made righteous. I will obey your law and earn righteousness? No. Furthermore, Paul says the law of Moses, and the, like the Ten Commandments, wouldn't even exist for another 430 years. It would be very, pretty impossible to obey a law that wouldn't exist for 430 years. A set of rules Now the Jews in Paul's day would have received and they would have known the Mosaic law of God. And when they tried to live by it, they failed time and time and time again, decade after decade. Well, the Jews also claim, though, that Abraham was made righteous because, in particular, he was circumcised. It's sort of like our baptism today. I was baptized, therefore I'm saved, or I take communion. Paul said, no. In verse 10, was Abraham counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. It would have been 24 years after Abraham looked up in the sky and believed in God for this inheritance of people that God introduced circumcision to Abraham 24 years later in chapter 17 of Genesis when Abraham was 99 years old the Lord appeared to him and said no longer will we be called Abram your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of nations and this is my covenant promise with you and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Okay, so we have this covenant promise made to Abraham. Um, his name was changed to Abraham from Abram. Um, in the, in the, I'll skip that section. 25 years earlier, again, Abraham had faith that God would give him a land and a child to carry forth his name and his people. He never veered from that promise. We sometimes feel like we hear God or we read a promise in God's Word and we pray this promise and we say, thank you, Jesus, for this promise. I claim it. And then crickets for the next months, weeks, months, maybe even years. God, I thought you made this promise to me. Where are you? Well, God will be true to his promise. He's always faithful. But his timeline's not the same as ours. 25 years. Sarah and Abraham Abraham had to wait for a child. 25 years. What were you doing in 1997? What was happening in 1997? This church wing was built in 1996. 26 years ago. Prior to that, the church ended where the offices ended, in the library. 1997, the first associate pastor was hired, named Van Trapp. 1997, you'd turn on the radio and you'd hear a lot of bad music like Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls playing on the radio. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years, but 25 years later, he was given this promise again. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will now be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. Still, his wife Sarah was not pregnant who was 90 years old. And he being close to 100 years old, still no child. Imagine Abraham at his 86th or 82nd, it would be high school reunion. He shows up. Hey, Abram, how you doing? Oh, oh I'm sorry, Abram. I, I, I mean, I see you've changed your name to Abraham meaning a father of nations, a father of multitudes. That's great, Abraham. It sounds like your life has been going well. Tell me about your kids, Abraham, and your grandkids, and your great-grandkids, and even your great-great-grandkids. Tell me about them. Abraham would have responded, well, don't have any kids yet, Sarah and I. Then why did you change your name to Abraham? That does not make sense. Well, because, Bill, Abraham, God promised me and my wife a son. Confusion. Abraham, what kind of medication are you taking? Secondly, Abraham, you remember how old you are? How old we are? We're at our 82nd. Abraham yet continued to believe and trust in his lord and the promise the covenant promise even at age 99 and 100 and his wife 90 Romans 4:18 <clears throat> even when there was no reason for hope Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations for God had said to him that's how my many descendants you'll have and Abraham's faith did not weaken even though At about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing in God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And this is the kind of faith That will count us as righteous. When God sees us, when he sees his son's righteousness imputed into us, then we're counted righteous when we receive Christ. Verse 23, when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefits as well, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who is this Jesus? He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Jesus died for our forgiveness. He was raised for our righteousness. If we just, if we just preach the cross, that's only half the gospel. You know, we could be forgiven and yet still be laying dead on the gurney, you know? Forgiven corpses, if you will. <clears throat> but we're not just forgiven. <clears throat> we're raised to new life in Christ because of Christ's resurrection. And in so doing, he makes us righteous. He grants us his son's righteousness. Abraham's belief was not just an intellectual belief. Spurgeon puts it this way. His faith did not sit still. It took steps. And you must take these steps also by obeying God because you believe in him. That faith which has no works with it is a dead faith and will justify no one. James says faith without works is dead. It's not a saving kind of faith. The devil believes in God and Jesus in some ways more than we do mentally because he's been at war with them for all these hundreds and thousands of years. But he refuses to obey. Therefore, the devil does not have saving faith. Abraham, on the other hand, was told to leave his country and his, his land, pack up everything and move to a distant, unknown country. And he obeyed, displaying his faith and trust in God. A- Abraham was told that he would be a father of a great nation, even while he was an older age, 75 at the time. And he would conceive with Sarah. And he hung on to that promise for 25 years. Later, Abraham was instructed to, to send his, his uh, handmaid and her son away, his first son born to the maid, uh, Ishmael and, and Hagar, and sent them away. Uh, and he did so because he trusted in God, even though it would have broken his heart. And then God tested Abraham even after that, saying, this only son you have with Sarah, you're going to sacrifice him to me on the mountain. Take him up and make him a sac- sacrifice. And Abraham followed through with it. Reasoning in his head, were told in Hebrews, That if God wants me to put my son to death, then God is powerful enough to raise him to the dead because I believe in his promise that through my son will be a great nation. And so Abraham was about to carry it through when an angel stopped him and God said, hey, I'm pleased with you, Abraham. Abraham. You trust me. You're a friend of God. Genuine faith is a belief that will be evidenced by our actions. As it is said, we are not saved by faith and works. We're saved by a faith that works. Now, we have many people in our church who've been saved by faith at one time when you bowed your hearts to the Lord and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I need eternal life. I need you to come into my life. Make me righteous in your sight. Forgive me. Make me like your son, Jesus. And so we prayed that initial step of faith. But now we're to live by faith. We're to live with that continual trust in the Lord each and every day. That's a saving kind of faith. That faith will be evidenced in our actions. And as I thought about this sermon this week, I thought of so many of you and how you are so faithfully serving the Lord, sacrificing your time and, and what you could be doing for yourselves to serve others and serve the Lord. And we have many ministries like Celebrate Recovery um, who, who meet even during the holiday season. They'll never miss and because they want to meet together and build one another up, serve one another. In our children's ministry, youth ministry, so many external ministries that we're involved in, like the food bank and, and reuse it center, and just on and on. I, I could go on and on. And my mind was filled with all the faithful people here, which make the strong, this church healthy and strong. One such ministry that's on the front pages now, right now, because of the tiny homes, um, our McPherson Housing Coalition. So I wanna invite these two ladies up to, for the last 10 minutes of the message to, uh, to share a few things about uh, McPherson Housing Coalition. And uh, I, I just had them, what are they called? The cottages, yeah. Yeah, cottages, I need to get some water, ladies. So so as I get my water, just start talking, all right, Chris? Tell, no, I'm kidding, I'm <laughs> secure. all right. I, I, I told Chris that you know I had come up with some questions and I might throw in a few extras. So the first one is, "What is your view of the end times and eschatology?" Okay. <laughs> no, all right. I'm kidding. I he,
1: might have to pass that one on to Lynn.
0: You can pass there. on that. I so, think she for, could
1: probably answer that. He gave, he gave, he gave us questions a week ago, and yesterday they changed.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Does
2: yeah, anybody else can relate to that in this building? <laughs> well, how did McPherson
0: Housing Coalition start again? Just by way of review. Many people have heard, but uh, right. just a short review. How, how did McPherson Housing Coalition... You, did you
2: change the question? That's not the question you had
0: earlier. Oh, the, the cottages then. How did that... Oh, how did this ministry begin by faith in God? <laughs> Thank That's you. That's what it was. <laughs> how did it take faith to begin this ministry? That's right.
2: Okay, so let's go with that. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to, to describe that. You can only imagine trying to figure out how you got from where we are to where we started. Um, the First Housing Coalition was actually started in February um, February 13th of 2008. So we've been around a while. This ministry has been going for some time. And when I when I got that question yesterday, uh, I really <laughs> I really struggled as to how do I answer that because when you look at God. It didn't start on 2008. It started many, many years ago with my own life and my own childhood and the things that I had went through as a kid and some of the things that I had experienced. And so I had to really reflect on that. God takes the broken pieces and puts them together in a beautiful way, but that really glorifies him. And so that's where we all begin. You all have stories. Every one of you I know has some beautiful story that you could come up here and share, and we could be here for days, and that would be awesome, really. There's another thing you could do. Yeah. But anyway, so um, it would be beautiful to hear everybody's stories. But that's, that's how it started from that brokenness. I think God brought me here. He started to show me some things with housing. I'm a real estate appraiser. A lot of you, I don't know if you know that that's what my profession is. Um, it's a job that I love. But he started showing me things, and I couldn't, I couldn't look away from it. It's like you don't notice something until you get something like a brand new car. Have you ever bought a new car now everybody in town's driving that car? And you never even saw it before. It's like, where did that car come from? I never saw that before. So um, he started showing me things. I'm a doer. I like to fix things. That's just who I am from a childhood. I was always the one who took the kids that were being bullied and made them all my friends. That's what I always did. And so I, I knew that if God was showing me this, this is where we had to go. So I didn't tell this story this morning, and I'm going to tell it now, but there was a group, a family that actually goes to this church, and they um, were struggling with housing. And um, I was part of trying to figure that out, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. As resourceful as I am, as much as I fix things, I could not do it. And so I said, okay, that's enough. We're going to move forward. God, I know that this is a mission that you want for me to pursue, and so no matter what happens, I'm going to make sure that I never faced that again with anybody. And so um, that's kind of how we, how we, got from, how we moved forward. Um, from there, you can see us where we are today. We're all over the paper, and we've just got an award at the state level. And it's crazy, but it was a journey. And if you're ever thinking about starting a ministry, you have to know that there's a lot of times when you're going to be by yourself, you and God. It gets lonely and it's tough. But if it's where where God has you, He will absolutely walk beside you every step of the way. He is there for you, and so don't give up.
0: Thanks, Chris. And and Carolyn, uh, why do we need affordable housing in McPherson?
1: So um, before I worked at the Housing Coalition, I worked at the Free Methodist Church. I was the church secretary, and um, monthly there would be people that would come in, and they could not make their rent. They could not pay their utility bills. Um, And so I would do what I could with the limited funds that we had each month to help people with. And then during COVID, when everything kind of shut down, um, the Lord transferred me to the Housing Coalition. He moved me from church out to the Housing Coalition. And literally every day, we receive phone calls from people that need help. Um, Many times we have to just um refer them to resources i can't help everybody that calls me the need is too great Um, and now that inflation is doing what it's doing we're hearing from more of our elderly those that live on fixed incomes that are needing help Um, so yeah it's the need is greater than what we are able to fix um, or help with
0: okay um uh when when women, is it just women in the, ho- the homes right now?
1: Well, or, y- you just couples? have to have kids. Okay. You can be a married couple and be okay. in our cottages, but you have to have kids, <clears throat> that's the component.
0: Okay, and how long uh, can one stay in one of these homes?
2: Yeah, so you can be in our, one of our homes for 90 days and that sounds like, how are you gonna fix that in 90 days? Well, the plan is not necessarily to fix it, but get the services started and really to wrap them in God's love, that really is the secret, is to show them how much we love them, especially the kids. I mean, having a bed to sleep in, we have a family right now um, who, this, she's in her 20s and she hasn't had a bed for five years of her own, literally has not had a bed. To find that peace and to find, get those services, we wrap them in services, they get mental services and legal services and mental and physical services, whatever that family needs to get them back on their feet and then we move them forward with another program that we have. So we're not just leaving them hanging. They continue to move forward through that. And we've seen some amazing transformations.
0: How else have you seen God's hand um, in this ministry? Can you give me an example, another example?
1: So um, a, lot, a lot of times, there you go. A lot of times um, when we're speaking, people will say, well, You're just helping drug addicts. You're helping people that have made terrible choices. They're just going to keep doing that. Well, that's not always the case. So um, one of our very first families in the cottages was a family that had a house fire. And so if that happens to you, the Red Cross will put you in a hotel for two weeks. How many here could find a place to live in two weeks? It's impossible. You can't do it. And so we put them in our cottages, and these boys were on the autism spectrum. They were were like fifth grade and, and middle school ages, but they were autistic on that spectrum. And so you know, if you have kids that need any kind of additional help, that first of all, having the house fire was chaos enough. And then to be in a hotel for two weeks, like, They were off the charts. They're way up here in behaviors and just the way that things were going. And so um, they play lacrosse. And we heard from the lacrosse coach that within days of being in the cottage, that all of a sudden things started calming down. The family um, was with us for three months. And during that time, both the parents got new jobs. They work at Pfizer now. They're making amazing money and when they moved out of our cottages into a, a home of their own which it took three months um, they didn't even need our support they're taking care of themselves so we we watch God move in people's lives every day
0: awesome the last question is um, how can we partner with you um, And maybe what's the vision for the future, and how can we partner with that as individuals and as a church?
2: So I'll take part of that question. Um, As far as where do we see where do we see this going, it's really God's ministry. It's not ours. We we're just being obedient to what He's asking us to do. Um, We don't know where we're going. Sometimes we, I don't know if we want to know where we're going. I just we move forward. Um, where we're headed now is finishing four cottages. We have four cottages that we haven't had claimed yet, but we'll get those. I mean, we're believing God's gonna get those claimed. And then we're gonna be building permanent supportive housing. we're very excited about that. That is gonna be such a wonderful ministry for people who maybe just struggle. Maybe you have somebody that works um, at Dillon's or somewhere where they're not making a, a lot of money, but they're, they're trying very hard to support their families and that's where they're working. And so maybe they'll always need a little bit of help. So we'll be able to um, put them in these homes and, and continue the services. They'll always be able to have legal services or mental health services or health services or whatever they need to maintain that stability. It's so important for families and for kids. We have to remember, for Carolyn and I, I think the kids are really where our heart is, is, is really ministering to those kids and showing them stability and what that looks like and can make all the difference in, a wor- in the world. I know for me personally, I always had such great people around me that helped me move through some things. And and um, God chases you, and, and when he chases you, amazing things can happen. And so um, that's really um, where we're headed. Um, I don't. After that, I don't know. God only gives me a piece at a time, thank goodness, because if he gave me the whole thing, I think I would have ran really far away the other direction. I mean, public speaking
1: is not my deal. And here I am. So the other part of the um, supportive services is that with these houses, the families will never pay more than 30% of their income. That's what everybody should be paying, no more than 30% of your income. If you do, then if there's a health issue, if there's an accident, if you're off work for any period of time, you yourself are in jeopardy of becoming homeless. And so Um, how can people help? Well, first of all, does anybody here put down flooring? Because I have a cottage with a church body that they can't do their flooring, so I'm looking for ways there. Um, The other thing is the Housing Coalition, we applied for a grant from St. Stephen's Charitable Trust for $50,000. Well, we applied. They gave us $50,000. And then they also gave us a challenge. They said, if you can raise $50,000 between now and the end of the year, we'll match it. Well, that's $150,000. And with the money we have, we, we're believing that God will use that to build these other four cottages. Because at this point, no other church in town is claiming those. So if we can, we feel like if we can raise that amount of money and fund them. Then there's probably a, a church that's already done one that might say, "Hey, we've got volunteer labor; we'd be happy to do another one." Or a church that maybe their um, congregation is a little smaller, and they can't raise that kind of money that um, they would have the labor to do it. So it's really just kind of trusting him um, to bring it to bring it to be because it was he started this during COVID, and that didn't sound like a real good time for us to start building something, but. He's, he's got his own things going on. So
0: Okay, well, let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for Chris and Carolyn and the host of others who are on the team, uh, the ministry team for these cottages and for and Housing Coalition in other areas in our community, communities. And I ask God that you, you bless this ministry, continue to, uh, we know this is near and dear to your heart, Lord, uh, to give people a home like this thank you lord for the privilege to be able to partner uh, with this as a church and as individuals pray that you continue to bless it to abundance lord grant them your favor in christ's name amen
2: we have one more thing um we would like so i'd like to present this to the church this is a a little just a little something from us it says jamie's place on it we just appreciate your partnership on this cottage it means a lot to me personally because jamie was a good friend and the fact that we got to name this house after and honoring her was just pretty amazing but anyways we just want to say thank you to everyone who was part of this build and whether no matter how you were involved with this with this project we want to say thank you because it's not possible without all of your prayers and everything else that you've done so thank you so much
0: amen you know, thanks, Chris. Carolyn, thank you.